This episode of the Beyond the Physics podcast is brought to you by you. So if you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review and consider subscribing at patreon.com forward slash beyond the physics. This is Beyond the Physics. gonna start us off so what's up um so uh today we are joined by our good friend michael hello hello yeah thanks for joining us today i really appreciate it thanks for having me and so um on today's podcast i thought we might get some of michael's experience through grad school and um maybe try and make some connections to some of the traumatic shit that's been happening with me in my experience um but so before we start talking about all that just how you doing michael i'm doing pretty good um was sick recently but mm-hmm. now i'm better uh and caffeine from my red bull is finally starting to hit <laughs> so i'm waking up and it's the afternoon but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling good yeah, you were talking about brain fog earlier. How are you yeah. feeling about that right now? Um, definitely could be sharper, but <laughs> uh, memories are sharp enough that I should be able to recall them. <laughs> but if you're going to ask me like to integrate something complex right now or anything like some spherical harmonic stuff, no, that's I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. All right, we'll we'll try to take it easy on you then. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll we'll keep the test to. A minimum okay um but yeah so where do you think we should start um like we can start all the way back in time or like when you're a baby (laughs) or we can start when you come into grad school or what do you think sounds most interesting to you um i think it's important to start with why i'm doing it by it you mean physics physics and specifically astronomy um and my main passion in the many subfields of observational astronomy mm-hmm. um so i feel like a why before all of the fun Background. story yeah yeah um yeah that sounds so, interesting then it establishes me. that i am still motivated and not letting this all mm-hmm. get me down completely so the first thing when I think of why I was interested in going into physics and astronomy is Star Trek okay. and Star mm-hmm. Trek Next Generation. Um, and I know that's like a cliche thing, probably, that like gather room full of physicists and like just like pick people at random. And you've got pretty good odds that someone will be like, oh, yeah, when I saw Star Trek mm-hmm. and I saw them use the teleporter or like the phasers it was so cool um but for me it was kind of like the travel aspect of like not only going to a new place but like a completely new planet Mm -hmm. um and just the idea that like there could be so much out there because the show was yeah they were in a cool ship with guns and photon torpedoes but they were 
it was always explained that they were on a mission of exploration. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Um, and I think there's like the phrase that's like born too late to explore the earth and born too early to explore the universe. But Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. Yeah. Cause the first, like part of exploration is looking out. So like if there's not a guy in the crow's nest looking out with his telescope and spotting lands, then the ship doesn't know where to go. So Hmm. I've always been fascinated by looking out and seeing what I could see. Mm -hmm. And the idea that, yeah, there's things on earth we haven't seen yet, but like we can, they're here. Mm -hmm. The idea that we can like, there's still stuff in the sky that like, not only can we not see yet, but it's light hasn't reached us yet. Mm. And that's, I don't know, the, that's really exciting to me, hmm. is that it's like, a, it, you hear all about like, oh, there's this light from millions of light years away, so it took millions of years to get here, so it feels kind of like a, a dead science, but it's not. It's like incredibly active and lively and all the time new stuff's coming in, even though it's already happened, so to speak. And the supernova's reference frame, we're not seeing that yet. And so like got to be on our toes a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say that uh, when I got my first telescope in high school, because there was one Christmas where I was like, okay, I'm, I don't need more Legos or I already have the newest Halo game or something, you know. Um, I was just like, I want a telescope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my my parents were divorced, so I told my mom and dad, like, you guys get together, combine mm-hmm. your gifts, because if only one of you gets me the telescope, it's not going to be very good. Like, I want something with a little bit more power. Um, and so I got an eight inch, um, Dobsonian, mm-hmm. which are the ones that look like cannons. Yeah. Pretty common for like intro labs. Um, cause they're manual. So you can't just like type in like a code and have it point. Um, so I really had to learn the night sky. Like I read all about it in books and seen the Hubble images, but it was getting my first telescope was like, it was my turn to like try this exploration Mm -hmm. um and i remember looking at saturn for the first time Mm. um i was with two friends because i had like just gotten it um one of them was like what's that star over there and i was like i don't know but i think i know how to find out so (laughs) i i pointed the the telescope and looked in and i just like yelled i was like holy shit guys it's Saturn. <laughs> you can see the rings. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was really tiny. Like, it was, like, the size of, like, a, a doorknob from, like, across the room. Mm-hmm. Nothing like what I'd seen in the books, and yet infinitely cooler. <laughs> yeah. Because it was live, so yeah. to speak. Like, that is not a picture that is updating every... Plank second, I guess the smallest. Mm-hmm. Like it's constantly something's happening, um, even if it doesn't look like it. And so, mm-hmm. I remember reading about as a kid, um, Comet Shoemaker Levy Nine, which was uh, 
a comet that people saw actually hit Jupiter. Hmm. Like they were actually observing the planet and something happened. Hmm. Like the comet collided. And so then they being astronomers, they like contacted other people. And so they, all the world's telescopes, so to speak, pointed at Jupiter and watched this impact, like the aftermath unfold. And that, even though it was seen by astronomers, the idea that like, if you're lucky enough and you're looking out, mm -hmm. you could be the one who discovers something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's often the case, right? With like amateur astronomers actually being the ones to make the discoveries for science. Yeah. Um, something that has been really interesting to me um, in terms of like amateur astronomy and astrophotography is um, it's called uh, IFN, Integrated hmm. Flux Nebula. Hmm. Um, and it's basically just like the collective gas and dust that is, I believe out like a little bit outside of our galaxy. So like mm. kind of in the halo, but it's illuminated by all the light and stars mm. from our galaxy. And so then some of that comes back. Um, but like, you don't see it. I mean, maybe on like soup, the super high end sensitive equipment, you start to see it, but like really quickly. But for amateur equipment, like it takes hours of integration time before mm. you start to see it appear in mm. the background that it's not just noise, but it's something there. Um, similarly with like dwarf galaxies, several have been discovered by amateurs who are just taking deep exposures of very specific regions in the sky. And so that's something, so it's like, yeah, we've, Technically, we have these like all sky maps yeah. that are going every night mm -hmm. looking for new things like, oh, there's a new supernova there. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's all mapped out yeah. because part of it, it's not just like a surface, but there's depth to it. And so the longer you look at an area and expose, the more you get to see. Yeah. Um, similarly, like that's with the Hubble um, deep fields. Like mm -hmm. those are my favorite images. It's my desktop background, like my, my Chrome, when I open a new tab, like mm -hmm. instead of just like the blank white, it's, it's the Hubble deep fields. Like mm -hmm. that image always inspires me. Cause I know that if I were to like, oh, if I, <laughs> little light flicker. I know that if I were to get um, like the super high res version, I could spend hundreds of hours looking mm. and it would, I would always be able to find something new the next time I go back. Mm -hmm. um, so it's always changing. Yeah. And is it in your background also is always changing? No, um, I wish. Uh, but once I like got to college, um, in my undergrad, I did some, uh, research on gravitational lensing hmm. and that's another, that opened up a whole, this whole other idea of like time domain astronomy, so to speak, where you got to be looking at the certain time for things to align. So with these massive gravitational, like lenses from clusters sometimes there's like very chance coincidental alignments 
that allow for much higher magnification so to mm -hmm. speak of the lensed object and so like i think there were there was one people were able to predict like in like 10 years mm -hmm. it should line up and like this object should like get brighter and mm -hmm. larger looking so to so to speak mm -hmm. um and it did um and so I think the, that that's another idea that's super interesting to me is um, using the universe as your observatory as well, rather than just the thing you're observing. Yeah. 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 Some of the James Webb images, right? One of them had really nice gravitational lensing. That's my background is uh, we can't see it here, right? There's S max or whatever. Um, but anyways, yeah, you're talking about, you know, light tra taking millions of years to travel here. The quote from the thing was like some billions of years, right? For some galaxy mm -hmm. coming from this gravitationally lensed effect for the light to come here. And yeah, I mean, that's super interesting, right? Um, I'm not very well versed in it, <laughs> but I do find it fascinating as well. Um I don't know if it's jumping around too much, but I kind of mm. wanted to uh, just ask one quick question about, you know, your experience growing up, you know, when you said you first got your telescope and you, you know, pointed out the sky. Um, I was wondering what area in in the United States, right, that you... Oh, um, so I was in Alabama, um, okay. outside of Birmingham. So there was one, like quadrant of the side of the sky so to speak mm. that i couldn't ever really look at it mm. was kind of like to the north a bit um just because of city lights right um but thankfully it wasn't like aligned super with the north because i could always see um uh ursa major mm -hmm. um the big dipper yeah. uh and so um I got I I saw planets at first. Those were easy, as I said earlier. I saw Saturn, um, but I honestly quickly got bored of the planets. Hmm. And I started because you can kind of always see them regardless of the weather condition. Hmm. But I started looking for the the faint fuzzies, the the nebulas in the hmm. galaxies. And so Ursa Major is like above the galactic plane, hmm. like so to speak, and the view from the the sky or the view of the sky um and so like you can look out and not get blocked by gas and dust from our galaxy and see other galaxies and mm. i remember seeing m81 and m82 for the first time mm. and it's just hooked <laughs> like there's i don't know there, i don't even remember what the original question was um <laughs> oh so yeah just, it, was, it was just about like um where you observed when you were oh there. yeah yeah in yeah. in alabama yeah. um but looking at once i saw the, my first galaxies i was like oh okay i want to go to the darkest places i can because mm -hmm. like i can barely see it in my little suburban yeah um like neighborhood yeah so uh, the first time that I was able to go to northern Michigan and use it just truly blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Where the light from all the stars is so intense that it like feels like it's touching you. Mm -hmm. Where the Milky Way is not a suggestion. 
but like it imposes on you yeah yeah i mean that's pretty interesting because like so i grew up in california right and Mm -hmm. i I grew up in a kind of small town there the light pollution wasn't terrible still kind of bad but then as i grew up and i moved out and stuff and i go into long beach and la proper it's just like the sky is inaccessible to you right it's just gone you can count the number of stars (laughs) on your hand you're like oh yeah there's the two (laughs) yeah and so part of me feels like astronomy is a way of connecting to our past or something like that like you know sometimes i think uh sometimes i feel jealous of like ancient people i guess being able to have that connection with the sky um and i felt a little bit robbed (laughs) uh, yeah growing up and having that being deprived of that um here it's a little it's like it's okay you know there's like it's probably a similar situation to what you're describing um growing up right it's like the direction of school or whatever yeah you can't really see much but if you look away from it then it's it's not too bad yeah and since like this is north of the light you get to see earth you get to see uh, the big dipper Mm -hmm. and so you can during the summer i mean i guess there what's the word circumpolar so like they some of them never set Mm -hmm. as long as you're above the equator um but like yeah i i would feel bad if i lived somewhere and i was south of the big city and my Mm. favorite area of the sky was just completely blotted out Mm. spooky (laughs) hopefully that's not the universe signaling to me that I'm about to live <laughs> south of a city. <laughs> yeah, but so um, yeah, and also uh, Irene's gonna go to the Brazil soon, and uh, it's gonna be in a major city. So I yeah. don't know how much of the sky you'll see, but but I if I gonna, travel outside of there, yeah, I was excited to check it out. Um, because I've never seen this guy in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, me neither. The yeah. furthest I've gone south is Puerto Rico. So I saw mm. just barely, I think it's Omega Centauri. Mm. Um, but it was like super low on the southern horizon. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, whenever I have friends who travel south of the equator, I'm like, oh, you get to see all new stars. <laughs> like, it's a completely foreign night sky. Yeah. Which would be so cool. Well, you're coming for a week, so... Yeah, just a little bit. We'll get to see, but... Exciting. It's, uh... Sao Paulo is, like, apparently the largest city in the Americas, so I doubt... I doubt we'll be able to see much, but we'll see. You know, I haven't been there, so... Well, we can travel somewhere. Yeah. Well, we can see. Yeah. But, so, was there more that you wanted to say on the why of coming into Um, observational astronomy like what about seeing that like uh for the first time i guess kind of hooked you because i was one of the few people on the planet 
may, I guess in, in the whole universe maybe hmm. um, looking at that thing at that moment and no one was seeing the photons that I was seeing mm-hmm. that like although it feels like astronomy is a science that you're it's non-interactive it, it is in a way because hmm. um, like yeah you can't touch it but if something happens on a short time scale and you get to see it then that's like a very special connection so to speak like i'm not religious or spiritual Hmm. but like that's probably like the closest i get is when i'm doing like astronomy because i feel a connection i'm a part of the universe looking back out at it and Mm -hmm. appreciating it and Hmm. hopefully lucky enough to see something unique um like in one of my like frames from an astro imaging project like there was a meteor once Hmm. streaking through and i was just like oh sweet (laughs) nice i might be the only person on the planet Mm -hmm. who saw that meteor come in because it was really small i didn't even see it with my eye Mm -hmm. so but i'm pretty sure it was a meteor because it had some color to it not a satellite streak mm-hmm. but given that there was some green it could have been an iridium flare from a satellite like repositioning but i'm gonna go with meteor because it sounds cooler <laughs> and since i don't have spectral lines hmm. i don't know <laughs> um but yeah it's it just it's something that i just feel like is a is a part of me and again i've said i'm not religious or spiritual but that feels like my way to primarily connect Mm -hmm. with the universe um is to be an observer of it Mm -hmm. and to appreciate it and then if i am able to see something and capture it and share it then that's a whole other aspect because it's no longer like some like personal connection between me and the universe. Like I then get to share it with others and try to inspire the same feelings. And Mm -hmm. if my image of a planet makes someone go out and look at the night sky, then that's super important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I may not have, I don't think, any publications yet. (laughs) But uh, I do know that I've inspired some people to be more interested in sciences and particularly astronomy. And as you were saying, Joe, earlier about you kind of feel like you were robbed of not seeing the the Milky Way when you were younger. I agree. Like, (laughs) it's the night sky is our shared cultural human heritage. Yeah as far back as you can go in anyone's direction like lineage um there's been like a reverence for the night sky and it's been really important and so seeing as how most people don't get to experience that anymore i feel like it's an important role Hmm. culturally to try to share it as well and renew interest in it Hmm. yeah that's interesting 
and a flash of a dystopian future in my brain. <laughs> oh, Starlink satellites crisscrossing the night sky, spelling out words. Yeah, and astronomers are like the new uh, shamans or something. Of like, oh. you know, we're historians of a age that's, you know, extinct. Uh, but hopefully that doesn't come to pass. I mean, um. <laughs> we live for billions or trillions of years. Eventually, hmm. potentially. The expansion of the universe will make our, what's the word, cosmic horizon. Everything will be beyond it and we'll be like, oh, hey, it's just us here. Yeah. We'll have no idea (laughs) what left us behind. Yeah. But, you know, when you talk about billions of years, you know, who knows? (laughs) Yeah. A year, a single year feels like a long time. Yeah. But cool, yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, I'm walking away with deeper appreciation of the sky. So thank you for sharing um, your experience, I guess. So I'm wondering if you want to talk about like how that love translated into making steps towards learning physics and trying to engage with astronomy in a more like um i don't know terrestrial way yeah so it's not it's not all just looking at something and describing it with words Hmm. eventually you have to put numbers to things and uh sort of stops getting as fun (laughs) (laughs) um once there's no longer pretty pictures and it's calculus Hmm. um but so I honestly kind of struggled um, in high school math and physics. Like I was in the like AP courses, but I was like a BC student, and some of my teachers did not see it in me. Hmm. Um, but once I got to uh, college. And was able to take like my first astro course and like realize that I was around um, people who were doing like the real work. I really uh, started working harder because I've always liked math, but I never really knew what to do with it. And then I realized that, like, physics is just applying the math to what you see. Yeah. It's that it's taking the pretty picture and turning it into the numbers um, to answer why it's doing that. Um, So, yeah, astronomy, it turns out, is uh, you have the optics of the telescope that you're looking at. You have, um, since we're no longer using, like, photographic plates we're using ccds you have quantum mechanics because these are charge coupled devices where you're having like the photoelectric effect happen so you have to understand the physics of not only what you're looking at but your instruments yeah um but that started to give me a, a much deeper appreciation as well um because it was more to explore. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, 
I don't I'm I'm saying this without a solution. I'm just stating a problem. I feel like modern schooling has gotten beyond the love of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Particularly once you get to grad school. Uh started to feel more like I don't know. Obviously homework is work, but there's inherent judgments going yep. on. Um, like a single homework does not mean that you'll be a bad researcher someday. Mm-hmm. But there are some professors I've encountered who will tell you that that homework means that your work ethic is really bad. Mm-hmm. You clearly don't understand the material and you probably never will. Mm-hmm. It's like... But you're a scientist. How did you extrapolate all of this? And like, I just had a bad time on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's 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 weird how at the same time as my appreciation grew, I started to also get more jaded, um, mm-hmm. and the love started to get sapped out of it. Um, undergrad was difficult for reasons outside of that um just some personal life things that happened um but yeah um i think kind of rambling here no that's okay i mean i'm i'm listening and uh i'd be happy to hear about if you wanted to share about um why undergrad was difficult or if you wanted to um just talk more about anyways i'm I'm noticing a temptation to go chronologically but i'm totally yeah. so to resist I'm, that yeah, uh, yeah. i was just gonna say i was guessing I, I i wanted to know a little bit i guess about like when because it seems like you're talking about when you talk when you were talking about high school and mm-hmm. you know like this with you're getting your your first telescope um and you had like so much like passion and just like this drive for it right like um and you had it sounded like a profound connection that you found that mm-hmm. was like so meaningful to you and something that i don't know if maybe a driving force you can tell me if this is true was like partly for yourself because you felt like that strong connection with you you wanted to mm-hmm. continue exploring but also maybe to like share that with the rest of as many people as you could reach yeah. and let them know you know help them see the connection or help them feel that same like profound connection mm-hmm. that you found um would you say that's kind of like how you were feeling when you first discovered it at high school yeah um yeah because i was getting to do actual astronomy which i mean it wasn't like i was getting to use a telescope is what i mean to say and i was getting to explore and learn things um maybe it wasn't like what is the spectrum of this galaxy or whatnot but mm-hmm. i was learning where things were in the night sky i was learning basic facts about like there's the distance to this object um and whatnot uh but then like high school there's no astronomy class so mm-hmm. i was learning for the sake of learning on my own mm-hmm. but then i got to college and it's like you don't have time to do that because if you want to take the interesting astro courses and not just like this is the solar system these are the planets um you have to go through all of those physics courses mm-hmm. um and so it part of what started to make me jaded is that like 
you would take like two years of physics courses, ENM and mechanics and quantum and all of that. And it's like, I understand that these are required, but at the same time, what I came here for was to use telescopes. Hmm. And I don't know. It just felt like they would, they would, once a semester I was allowed to take like one astro course because I could fit it in because I had to take all the core stuff and in undergrad um, also had to take like writing comp and like the humanities and stuff required for an arts and science degree mm -hmm. um, so the astro courses like were the best things and my favorite things but they weren't very common or often yeah. um, and so a lot of it felt like I was doing so much work to like enjoy one of my five classes. Mm -hmm. um, like it always felt like it was astronomy was just a bit beyond my reach, hmm. um, which is a theme that kind of echoes into grad school mm -hmm. of like, I feel like I've worked so hard and so long that what I'm working towards should be right there. And it just keeps getting out of my grasp a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I think back to those feelings that I felt in my astronomy courses, particularly the ones where there's one course in particular called observational astronomy, um, where we came up with a research project and we carried it out and so like we used um, a telescope at Kitt Peak hmm. um, the MDM I think it's 1.4 meter so that was my first experience with a research grade telescope um, and so like I my idea like because we had to like justify why we thought this was a good project and we had to like what's the, what's the term um like since everyone in the class is doing their own projects we had to sort of like rank the feasibility of mm -hmm. them and like then for like time slots like when is this person's object going to be up mm -hmm. okay um that will be up near the zenith and then like an hour later um, another person's object will be like right there. So let's do person A and then person B after mm -hmm. that. Um, so like it was the whole, yeah, it was, I learned a little bit of the bureaucracy of actual like astronomy, but my, my project was, uh, looking at a, a variable star, um, mm -hmm. an RR Lyra to, uh, measure the distance to it roughly because, mm -hmm with astronomy you're just looking at something you can't actually take like a tape measure to it and so it's really knowing the distance is really important especially for the what's the cosmic ladder is that the term yep yeah mm -hmm. um where it's like linking the different distance measurements yeah. um because you can't do cosmology if you don't know what the distance of something is like within our solar system if we don't have that accuracy how could we yeah then know something that's something that seems much further um so 
like the actual experience of like okay we have our observing um list and we're out at the telescope and like getting to control it um watching the data come in was just like one of the most life-affirming experiences and then you that was just one class in the semester and then the next semester you don't get to take an astro course and you're in a circuits lab and you're just like oh man hmm. i know why i'm doing this but i'm not getting to do it again you're like daydreaming about going back to the course from last semester yep yeah and then yeah that doesn't seem that structure just doesn't seem right like if that you know that that is your focus is astronomy yeah it doesn't make any sense why you get one astronomy course like every other semester and you have to take like four other physics courses. Like I understand yeah. having the basic of physics. Okay, that makes sense. But it shouldn't be to the point where like the professor saying, oh, I don't know if that's what you meant. Like professors were saying that like because you did something in a homework, mm. you weren't good enough or yeah. something. And I'm like, I, I don't even know why they're judging you on the core courses. As long as you pass it, it's fine because your focus is the astronomy. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm... And it should be the, like at least two of the courses a semester should be like, so you can learn all yeah. the advanced techniques in astronomy, which you're yeah. going to need, right? And then, yeah, the same thing for, because that, that was undergrad. And then grad school was just so much worse because then it's like, you don't even get to like, you, you're like forced into the core courses and then your advisors get mad at you if you like, delay some of them to take what you're interested and passionate about because mm -hmm. well then you're not you're you're slowing down and that could potentially cost them money and mm -hmm. though grad school like i was already struggling with the like access to my passion in undergrad and then grad school was like okay now all of that stuff that you didn't like about undergrad is now your job mm -hmm. it, the the little little uh teases that we give you will be much more exciting and addictive like the highs are going to be much higher but then the lows are so much lower hmm. as well um but yet i have kept coming back um because <gasps> what other avenue is there to get into astronomy mm-hmm like looking for astronomy related jobs if you don't have a phd you are not qualified for like 85 percent of them mm. and then those 15 percent like you have to have a master's for at least like 13 percent of them so you're left with like if you don't have a graduate degree there's like two percent of astro jobs for undergrad and most of those don't really have much room for like advancement without going back to school and so, like, I'm kind of trapped in this horrible system to do what I love. Yeah. But I haven't really gotten many chances to do what I love. Yeah. Which is tough. Yeah, that's sad. It reminds me of what I was just saying about the night sky, right? It's like, um, yeah, my experience is a little bit different um, in that 
I've always kind of just been interested in astronomy and astrophysics, and I didn't have that connecting experience with the sky, night sky. Well, as connecting with like a telescope and observation and mm. stuff like that. I just knew that that is something that really resonated with me. But going to undergrad, you know, um, we had a astronomy course in the whole catalog. Mm-hmm. I took that, and there was no observation whatsoever, right? Um, we learned about stuff like the Drake equation and stuff like that. So it was fun. It was interesting, and I really enjoyed it. But anyways, I guess my point was just going to be that, like, my undergrad degree, my my diploma, it's physics and astronomy. <laughs> but... There's only a course offered in yeah. astronomy. Like astronomy, it's kind of a pun, but it feels so remote. Yeah. Like they just hammer you down with physics, which is important to understand the context of astronomy. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's tragic that you there was only one thing yeah. offered on the course list. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... I, and... To put a caveat is like I'm aware that there are programs that are more focused towards astronomy, and you yeah. can get like a much different experience. The, your your mileage may vary. That's true. But um, yeah, then coming to grad school, you know, being able to focus on astronomy, I feel like a lot of specialties in physics operate this way, and I kind of wonder why. Of like, yeah, like you were saying, you have to get through all these core courses. You have to learn basically all of physics. And then in like your research or whatever, or like at the very end of your graduate career is when you get to do the stuff that you came there to do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, that's like even for experimentalists in general, because it's like all those courses are so theory based. It's like, yeah, it's like for the theorist and they're making everyone do it. It's not really that applicable for a lot of people to know all Mm -hmm. these details about like, yeah, I don't know. And then. And then experimentalists, too, in general, it's like until the end is when they're finally getting that. Yeah. But I mean, in your case, too, I mean, like in high energy physics or whatever, I I can understand it a little bit more there because the material is so like advanced or whatever. But like in terms of all the stuff that you took and in terms of like the thing that actually applies to your research, like, I don't know, what's your experience? Well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, the very small thing that actually applies to my research is not something that I even took a course on, right? It's something that you like, you learn when you're doing the research. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't know, in your case with astronomy, I mean, how much do you think that you learn the skills that you have right now for op- observing? How much did you learn in actual courses or in how much did you learn just by like doing, you know? Hmm. I learned a lot of the photometry in my course, which is, so that's like taking the, the, the data, like the light and extracting the like information out. Um, and like the, the data reduction and whatnot. I learned a lot of that in my course, but then that, that stuff became applicable to my hobby as well, because it, essentially carried over with like the image combination stuff was that was that an undergrad or grad school that, that was in that? undergrad okay but in grad school um and this is where i'm not sure if the aps bridge program was necessarily the right fit for me to begin with because it's like a physics-based thing 
Mm-hmm. And so that's going to skew towards just like general physics. The schools that are in this APS bridge program aren't necessarily like geared towards astronomy, um, mm-hmm. which I kind of found out the hard way. Um, Cause I just figured that it would be more available. Um, Well, I mean, you were talking about, uh, like, if you picked up the skills through courses. Oh, yeah, 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 through courses. So, yeah. um, So, yeah, uh, grad school with the APS Bridge program, um, I never really got to use observational astronomy stuff. Like, I, I taught basic observing things in um, a lab while I was getting my master's, like, just the skills I already knew about, like, positions on the sky, RA and deck, um, like, the constellations and whatnot. Um, but it wasn't, uh, like, the most important stuff that I've learned related to observational astronomy was not at a school, but at that summer school that I took um, myself. Uh, I didn't. Uh, my grad school program did not uh, even mention that this thing existed. I just found it on my own. Um, I did a radio astronomy summer school at Arecibo nice. through the National Radio uh, Astronomy uh, NRAO. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forget what the acronym is. And where, where was that? Uh, in uh, Puerto Rico at oh, okay. Arecibo. Okay. Um, so it alternates between there and Green Bank. So the myth, there's a misconception that because the giant dish in Arecibo is down um, and will not be resurrected because um, it collapsed from, I believe, Hurricane Maria hmm. and just general wear after like 60, 70 years of service. Um, but because that dish is gone, a lot of people think that there's no more radio astronomy at Arecibo, but they still have a 20-meter dish up there. Um, hmm. And it's still used for... A variety of things like um a lot of times while we were there uh i mean with radio astronomy it can go it doesn't matter if it's bright out like mm-hmm. in the optical because it's radio waves that you're looking at mm-hmm. and they pass through clouds so you can observe at any time so while we were there the the 20 meter dish was like scanning the sun doing some solar physics and then it would like point elsewhere to um observe like a pulsar um i was in the pulsar group um and so what's really funny is i got my master's um in uh, neutron star astrophysics because that was as close as i could get to actual astronomy things (laughs) that i was interested in was um to work with a a theorist Mm -hmm. um and try to combine what she knows about uh QFT and like finite temperature and density mediums and all of that fun stuff. <laughs> um, and me, who was like interested in like how do you like observe, how do you take observational properties and use that to mm-hmm. constrain things? Yeah. Um, so, but what's funny is I didn't get to do any actual observations of like pulsars or neutron stars for my my master's it was 
this summer course that I took that was like, okay, these are what the the pulses look like, and then you average them to get like the 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 average pulse profile and like all of the different intricacies of how do you do a radio astronomy observation and take the data and reduce it and I am so much more qualified for positions now because of that course mm. than anything I took in my undergrad or grad school. Mm. Granted, <laughs> granted, you had to, you pretty much had to be in college to be accepted in yeah. to this program, but that was probably the most eye-opening experience of my life was like oh like i met people who work on radio telescopes like they're not necessarily doing research of their own but they get to work on the radio telescopes and one of them just had a bachelor's mm -hmm. and the another one several of them just had masters and they're like up there at green bank like fixing the feed horn on the antenna and like communicating directly with like astronomers and it's like why did the schools never like explain that there was that those were options too that you want to do grad school like you want to do astronomy oh well it's academia you're going to be here until you get your postdoc and hopefully you get to land at a university and become a professor no, there's other routes. Mm -hmm. And I, the schools have never really made me aware of that for astronomy um, and never gave me the training for that or even like let me know that trainings like that existed. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think they definitely fail a lot of students on those grounds. It's like they always give you the one narrative about going through the whole academia track and get professorship. But like, you're right. There's so many other opportunities. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. It's like you stumbled upon it and you found mm -hmm. this and you took the chance, right? On your own initiative and you learned all this stuff, which is great. It's like, it's like kind of luck though, too, that you like figure that out. Right? Yeah. There should be more guidance. Yeah, there definitely should be. I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe professor, maybe it's just like that dream of like, my student will be the one who cracks it or something, but it's almost like driving more people like, no, go down the path that I went down. Like, mm -hmm. I put in my time in, in this program and then you'll take up my place someday. <laughs> I feel yeah. like my advisor has a little bit of that where he like, you know, he wants us to go down that path. He's not, he's not so pushy on it, right? But, mm -hmm. uh, you can see that he, he hopes for that. And I don't know if it, that, it's an element of that. Oh, yeah, you know, I trained you and you understand the work one day. Hopefully you'll take over, you know. Yeah, it's a, it is a noble ambition, but also it can feel constricting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So is that something that you would, wa you would want to do, work like that? Like kind of, I don't know what you would, are they like, tec like technicians or? Yeah, but the problem with that is it's pretty remote um and so right now it's trying to like find this middle ground of like can i find an astronomy job where my girlfriend can find a job working for mm -hmm. the state or the gov like national government like environmental agencies hmm. 
Um, cause it's like, oh, if I wanted to work at, as an observatory support staff, well, I'm going to have to live out somewhere very remote to mm-hmm. work there. And if she works for like a state agency, there's a good chance that she needs to be near the Capitol, which means that mm-hmm. you're not near the observatories. So it's a bit of a two body problem right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm not going to say what the next step is, but I'm hopeful within a year I will be able to announce it. Um, there is something potentially um, on the horizon. And spoilers, it's not in t- <laughs> <laughs> um, But so yeah, my life is kind of on hold um, because I or go back to school if you yeah. want to. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, just I don't feel safe there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I came here to do astronomy. I came, yeah, to school to do astronomy. Um, and I got, at another school, I got a master's in neutron star astrophysics. And I wasn't the strongest at, like, the theory stuff or the, the QFT, but damn it i got that masters mm-hmm. so that means i know something um and f- my first experience here at florida state sharing what i had done previously uh was just awful um the professor like i don't know it was like every every meeting was an interrogation. I, I carried this stink on me because I was a bridge student. Hmm. As soon as he like was made aware of that, there was this like, well, I don't know if I can really catch you up to speed. And it's like, I don't need to be caught up that much. Hmm. Did you even read the thesis that I sent you? And the answer is no, he didn't. Hmm. Because... He had that little, like, respect for me or my work um, that it was, like, beneath him to even see what I'd done um, previously. So he had so little respect because you came through the bridge program, you think? Yes, because he let me know as soon as uh, he, he realized I was a bridge student that he'd had a bridge student before. Oh. Yeah. And they had failed. They had or, failed? Well. He said they had failed. He didn't say that, but like it was, they didn't meet his standards. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They didn't do it fast enough. They didn't do it well enough. He had to help them too much. He had to do his job of like teaching and advising rather than just like winding a student up and sending them off for two years to do it all on their own. So that's like essentially what he had told you about his past bridge student was that like he needed too much assistance from him and yep. that yeah he... it, my first meeting with him he let me know that hmm. his previous bridge student was a problem for him wow yeah yeah that was my first start um, yeah so we know that bridge student he came in our cohort 
and uh, yeah, from the outside looking at his work, you know, from my perspective, it looked like he was doing good. It looked like he was doing well, you know, and you know, sometimes I would look at him and I would feel self-conscious. I would be like, man, he's like moving things along and I'm like over here, like just not doing shit, you know, and anyways, so it's just to say that just, I think this professor is a little bit not grounded in reality, but yeah, but you can't say much because as, as soon as I got here, he got an award for being like the coolest, best, nicest, oh, yeah. most awesome professor on campus. Yeah. Not just like within the department, but like for the whole school. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, well, he couldn't have done that to you. <laughs> He's it's just weird. This guy. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, he belittled me constantly. Mm. Like, I think I left more meetings in tears than not. Mm. And it was like, okay. This is great. This school is so much different than previous things. No, it's, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm jaded on the bridge program as much as I'm jaded on academia as a whole. Like, I don't think our noble ambitions mean that much when it's we're just numbers Re- mm. at the end of the day to the higher ups like we have these goals of we want to increase like the graduation rates for under- underrepresented groups in physics but they don't the, the higher ups don't necessarily care about the graduation numbers they just care that you're there currently mm-hmm. no one from the program has reached out to me since I left um because i mean there's things going on in florida with diversity and equity and inclusion that are beyond the bridge program but i feel like we're largely numbers as long as we're there it doesn't really matter because there'll be another crop if we don't make it to the end well there'll be more people coming up soon like the bridge program is exploding like mm-hmm. record numbers of applicants but then we saw with our program where they could only let in one because they changed it where it was like oh you want to do this we don't offer that mm-hmm. we don't think you should come here yeah whereas before it was come on in yeah i was one of the ones who i told them that this is what i wanted to do and they said that might not be available and I said okay well this is what I'm also good at mm-hmm. and they said that might be available and so I tried that I tried the the first thing neutron star astrophysics and then I waited my time to get an astro group and I got one so I thought mm-hmm. I was supposed to do uh the supernova um, observational stuff and it's the only observational stuff that our school really does um, everything else is theory based or computational which is essentially just an extension of theory um, and for me it's always been about the telescope and the interaction of me the instrument and the subject and not like me and my computer that's 
connected to a cloud crunching this end body ball you know like that to me is not as interesting as looking at the real thing mm -hmm. um and so i was so excited because this group seemed like a good fit and um they took me up to our telescope and let me know about how to run it, the quirks of the dome, because I was going to be opening it. They, they wanted me in the group. They wanted me to know how to run things. Um, and it seemed like a perfect fit. And I really thought that it was fine. All of those physics courses and all the ones I still had left to take were all going to be worth it because finally... This is what I've wanted to do. It's, it's observational astronomy. It's time domain because it's mm -hmm. supernova that we want to, as soon as they happen, we want to start getting measurements for the light curve. Mm -hmm. Like, it was raw data, and no one in the group could make a pretty picture from the raw data, but mm -hmm. I could because that's one of my hobbies, was astrophotography and making the pretty picture. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just seemed like a perfect fit, particularly because they had a student who was going to leave in the fall and this was the spring so all i had to do was join um before the summer and everything would be golden um and so we confirmed with the professor um we confirmed with the department we got the email back that was like yep you're good to go and i remember i told like so many family members so many friends like i celebrated that night and then the next morning, I got an email from the professor, and he was like, oops, I messed up my funding. Mm. I can't fund you for the summer. You're going to have to find another group. Mm. No mention of like, well, if, if you can make it through the summer, you can join in the fall. Mm. No attempt to try to keep me in the group. Mm. Um, it is very late in spring now, and so there's really nothing else in Astro. Like, even if I was like, okay, fine, I'll do something different than my skill sets and my interests, like, who knows? Like, okay, I'll, I'll study uh, molecular gas clouds. Like, that wasn't, like, that wasn't even an option at that point. Um, and it's like, okay, well, I have to survive for the summer. Mm-hmm. And my only option was to find another physics group. Um, um, but wait, what, what exactly happened? How did everything was fine and it aligned? And you seemed like you were, you were a vital, you were going to be a vital member of the group, mm -hmm. right? You had a skill that they didn't have. Yeah. What happened? How did you just, how did they go from excitement? We're so excited to have you the next day we can't fund you even though why couldn't they he, give you a ta ship i mean there's tons of it was never really explained to me either which is another issue that i have because when i tell people this they're like well you could have just been like a, a ta for yeah. the summer and like funded yourself it was never presented to me so you'd think that if that the first thing that every student thinks of the professor would also think of so it doesn't make sense. Doesn't they make would have just offered me. you the TA ship. That's it. Yeah. They wouldn't have said, I don't have funding for RA. I don't have funding for RA, but I'll, you can still work in the group and I'll give you TA. I don't. It was something like that the group was 
full or if I joined, it would then put that group past like the number of grad students that could be in it. Again, it was never properly explained to me, which makes me feel like they didn't want me because we see that there could be other options, but if they didn't even try. Hmm. Um, and so with this like next day decision, like reversal, like I contacted like the bridge program people and they tried hmm. to like push it with the department because it doesn't make sense. Particularly if one of the students graduated at the end of the summer, which they did, that it should have just like opened up for me. Yeah. But uh, the professor was just not willing to budge or like push the department for me, which means that I clearly didn't really matter that much. Like if it's just like, ah, uh, shoot. Well, you're gonna have to find someone else. Like I wasn't the perfect fit. I mean, like, I don't know. There is. It just sounds like fishy. It just sounds it, like there's something yeah. behind the scenes that happened there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. I have no idea if I was like somehow like blacklisted by the original professor because like when I left, like, I was just like, yeah, I don't want to be in your group anymore. Like, I, it, I don't know. I, I wonder how much. I, I was polite and professional, but I wonder how much it was just like. This person is. He's bad because I know, that original professor has sway in the department. I have no idea. Um, so yeah, I was just completely left grasping for anything um so i ended up in condensed matter which when i explained to people the 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 swap from observational astronomy to condensed matter i say it's like my entire life i've been going to school for painting and then at the last second you tell me you have to do sculpture now mm. it's like okay, I'm still doing, I'm still like doing an art and I'm like trying to recreate something either that it's like realistic or my imagination, but completely different set of tools, completely different end product. Like the similarities are just vague kind of. So yeah, it's not necessarily a shocker to me that it didn't work out because it's not what I came to do. I did it to survive. Um, and it turns out that uh, I want to preface by saying at the safety was the highest priority. <laughs> I never felt unsafe, but I did feel uncomfortable. Mm. And I think that's an important distinction um, because a lot of the scary experiences that I had at the I was never in danger. I was never in real conceivable danger because protocols and redundancies, but I felt scared and I felt uncomfortable. 
Um, so this was after you you left, you didn't go into the Shana group, and then you went into a condensed matter group, which was a yeah, facility? It, yes. Um, okay. And so that group specialized in uh, nuclear magnetic resonance. Okay. Um, so, like, if you think about, like, you have some magnetic material, you put it in a really strong magnetic field, eventually they're all going to, like, align. Mm-hmm. You hit them with, like, a it's dependent on what the atom is what frequency of the pulse but usually radio some are microwave but you hit it with a pulse and they um unalign with the field and then they slowly wobble and precess their way back to alignment um and while they're wobbling and precessing they're giving off electromagnetic radiation Mm -hmm. and that specific frequency that they give off tells you what is in there Mm -hmm. um so to speak. So it's like a non-invasive way of learning the composition of an object, but you have to be able to have the object completely enclosed inside your apparatus. So like, it's not like you can do remote NMR of a star. Like you could do NMR of a chunk of metal that you have, but nothing, you, you have to be able to put it in your machine. So. But there, there were other similarities to astronomy in that, like, at the end of the day, you are reading back um, electromagnetic mm-hmm. radiation, and you're encoding that data, like, electronically and reading it out on the computer. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of parallels. It's like the painting and the sculpture. But it's wasn't really the same and any skills that i gained there aren't necessarily directly applicable to what i actually want to do with my career mm-hmm. and so it always felt like a i'm only here because the school forced me to be here mm-hmm. it was either join this group or leave yeah and i hadn't seen the light yet i was like well it's either this or my scientific career is over. Hmm. Um, and so that was partially why going to Arecibo and seeing that like, oh, I have a bachelor's and a master's and the passion for this. There are jobs out there for me that really helped me see that like, okay, school is not the only way. School, the school is not the only thing for me. <laughs> um, How long were you in, in there for? I was at the from may until october um so that's like four, five five months four or five months when did you do the summer school um what's funny is i did the summer school a week before no a week after i did the summer school where it's like they they hold like a a summer school because it's a support science facility so they had people from all over come in to like learn about what they can offer there so that they'll be tempted to come back so like students and professors from mit who do condensed matter to learn what capabilities are there so that they will want to come back and test their materials 
there. Um, hmm. So um, I did magnet summer school at the beginning of May. And then after that, like it was a whole week. And then the next week I flew to Puerto Rico, did the radio astronomy summer school and realized like, oh, oh, <laughs> um, and came yeah. back and was like, I'm still going to give this a try. Like these, the nicest people that I met at this school were like the professor the nicest professors that i met at this school were at the lab Mm -hmm. they were incredibly welcoming incredibly nice and very it didn't feel like academia over there and it's like man if only condensed matter was my passion Mm -hmm. like that would have been it that would have been the place because they were really cool um it is a top class facility like they hold world records and all types of things and it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity unfortunately it's not the opportunity that i was looking for um which is hard because it's i am very grateful to have had that opportunity and i know that there are tons of people out there who would have killed for what i had access to but me leaving means that they have access to it now. There's a spot <laughs> open, so I'm not I'm not holding it from them. Um, Did you hear that, listeners? It's oh, open. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're interested in nuclear magnetic resonance, <laughs> there's a spot. Um, although it may have been filled. Um, like they were so nice that I actually quit at like the end of September, but they kept me on the um, payroll for October so that I could continue to see um, the counselor through the school mm-hmm. because uh, this is where it gets really lovely. If you leave for a mental health break, um, they cut your health insurance. They cut your student health insurance. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 The school, they're like, we support you. We understand why you're doing this. We value you as a, as a member of our community. And so we're going to allow you to go get this help that we're not going to help you get. (laughs) Oh, you're a a struggling grad student and health insurance in this country is through the fucking roof? Well, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, I went through the same thing uh, when I took my break and I deferred. um, But since I was unemployed for that time, uh, I went through the marketplace and then they offer a pretty big, I think it was free, but, um, it ended up being free cause they, uh, I guess that's basically it's basically Obama. But I mean, like, but, these are all things that, okay, if you're not going to, if they're going to take your health insurance away, they should give, give you me. that information and hook you up with yeah. the, and it wasn't clip. easy. It took me a long time. to. No, not yeah, they don't give you any assistance. I bet yeah. that was all on you yeah. to figure out. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, thankfully my counselor that I was seeing was really good, um, at mm. the school. And so like they helped me find a counselor outside the school and made sure mm. that I was set up before they made me leave that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was like, just I had that extra month um, to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now it's just because people were very nice. Um, that was not the actual physics department or the bridge program. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. So 
I'm going to tell you guys a story about why I decided to quit or in the school in general. Um, so the largest continuous field DC magnet on the planet is at the lab and it can reach 45 no oh man i don't remember exactly which number it is it's either 42.5 or 45.2 tesla which pretty pretty strong um your typical nmr machine at a hospital gets to maybe three tesla if it's a beefy one um but it's usually like one or two tesla a fridge magnet is like 0.05 0.05 or maybe even an additional zero like 0.005 tesla like they're very weak hmm. the magnetic fields that we're used to with like magnets in our hands doesn't compare um so you're working with crazy crazy forces um and so like for the reason that you have this magnet is because you want to get the strongest signal out um when you're looking at these exotic materials, like they're interested in materials that have weird quantum properties at really low temperatures and high magnetic fields, like things change um, under those conditions and sometimes behave in abnormal or seemingly counterintuitive ways. Um, And so there's a lot of interest in applications for things like quantum computing when you have weird compounds like yttrium, barium, uranium oxides, or mm-hmm. you got you got some weird things going on with the lanthanides and those the heavier stuff. So the strongest signals for the heavier elements require higher magnetic fields. Like the the ones that are most reactive are um, hydrogen and fluorine, which I believe are also like some of the most electronegative. Um, But uh, the hydrogen thing is good for us humans because we're made of water. So we don't have to be put into a 45 Tesla field to see where the water and the hydrogen in our body is. You can put us in like a very low one to two Tesla field and boom, you can see all the water in your body without cutting it open. But yeah, so that's why you need stronger magnets is for the less reactive stuff. Um, So to generate a magnetic field that strong, um, you use a lot of power. And I want to say that these numbers may not be accurate, Mm -hmm. um, that the lab in total uses something like 5% of the city of total electric grid mm-hmm. which is a lot um like that's crazy for a single building to be drawing that much of a, an entire city's electrical grid um and the this large magnet i want to say is respond when it's running can be responsible for a large majority of that draw don't quote me on this. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to put actual numbers on how much the 45 Tesla draws, but it's substantial. It's like a decent fraction of the lab's 
city allocation. Um, and so there's a resistive magnet core, which, so if you're, if you have moving electric current, you generate a magnetic field. Um, that's one of those fun physics things I had to learn before I could do <laughs> astronomy. Um, and it turns out it's relevant. Um, cause you do have moving charges in space. Um, so, uh, got the resistive magnet running a lot of current through that, but that's going to generate a lot of heat. And so you have to cool that, but there's also a superconducting outer magnet. So the inner one has high pressure water running through it to carry away the, the heat. Like it's a, it's the heat exchange medium. And so they have, I, I don't know the PSI, but, um, the pressure of the water, if it were to somehow be directed at you and like a pipe were to break, it would kill you. Only there's only been one death at, the <laughs> and it was during, I believe it was early in the construction, but a worker uh, opened a valve that they shouldn't have, and died hmm. from the force of the high pressure water. That's scary enough for me yeah. to consider not working there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One is enough. I'm like, I don't want to be yeah, number so, two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's now, as I was saying earlier, safety is their highest mm -hmm. priority. Um, and there are now multiple safeguards. And there's no way that I would even go near that spot. And even if I was near there, there's now multiple safeguards there. There's no reason why a grad student would be like, checking a pressure valve on a pipe that's like a maintenance thing um but that's the level of forces that you're dealing with um is that like you have this like hundreds to thousands of psi water going through uh the resistive inner magnet and then on the outer part um is a superconducting magnet and so um I, it's been a while since I was looking through the physics of superconductivity, but, uh, from what I remember, um, essentially the resistance drops to zero once the material gets cold enough. And so you'd better keep that material cold if you're running current through it. Um, and so to keep that cold, they use uh, liquid helium, um, and so we're all, we all know helium is the gas that you put in the balloons, you inhale, and you get the funny voice. Um, but when it's in a liquid form, it has to be under super high pressures um, because it's also very cold. And so we'll, it's like single Kelvin like, or below. Like mm. it, at the mag lab, there was a group called millikelvin, yeah. people whose experiments were taking place in the temperature range of milli kelvin mm -hmm. like really close to absolute zero so you have the other danger ingredient in the the helium that's in there and not only is it like dangerous because um you learn that the expansion factor from liquid to gas state of helium is 700 times mm. so if there is a leak like a substantial leak of helium the gap like the the volume of the liquid will expand 700 times that and displace all of the oxygen in the room very yeah. quickly and you will suffocate uh no it not suffocate asphyxiate um 
in like seven seconds. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's another danger. Um, and even when I wasn't working on this, the super large magnet, cause this was only like a one-time thing. Um, my main job was carting around liquid helium and filling our magnet in the lab because we had a superconducting magnet, 16 Tesla. Um, and we had to constantly keep it cold because almost always it was running in remote where we had a sample from some people across the country, mm-hmm. um, running and taking data. So you have to keep it cold because it's not just your work, it's other people's work. So you have this additional pressure. Um, cause like you don't want to fail other people. It's one thing to fail yourself. That sucks, but you can only be mad at you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want other people mad at me for something that I messed up. Um, so I was constantly working with the liquid helium, um, which again, like it wasn't dangerous because of all the safety procedures, but I was uncomfortable. I, I don't think you're ever going to really feel comfortable next to something that can kill you that quickly if you make one mistake. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes into like if my mental, like if I'm not in the right headspace and I'm distracted by some things going on in my life and I mess up, it could kill me mm-hmm. or hurt me or hurt others. Or at the very least, cost our group a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Because liquid helium is one of the most expensive liquids. Um, particularly this past, last summer, there was a helium shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, we were spending like 5000 a week on helium. Um, which adds up. Uh, yeah. That was just our group. And... Um, yeah, I, it provided that we were good. There, I think there was like a 98% efficiency for overall, like in our group. We were one of the most efficient groups at mm-hmm. maintaining our helium. Um, but a lot of pressure to um, not waste any of it. So let's return to the 45 mm-hmm. Tesla. You got this, the, the high pressure water in the center core of the magnet and then you've got the resistive things with the liquid helium out there so you've got two really deadly forces underneath you the the helium you could asphyxiate if there's a leak or something and the water if there was if it were somehow or to like a pipe or to burst could kill you um the magnetic field is strong enough to twist and rip steel in there um there's just, it's a crazy amount of force that was going on right underneath my feet. Um, and so I am lowering a probe, a, I want to say it's like 20 feet tall, maybe, maybe a little shorter, maybe like 15 feet, but it's tall. Like it, when to carry it, like we had two people, like one person grabbed the end, one person grabbed like the the top, um, and we'd carry it uh, perpendicular down the hallway because it couldn't fit in the normal hallways, um, just the magnet cells when it was vertical. Um, Because like the field center is where it's strongest and where it's actually relevant is like an inch. 
but it has to be so isolated from stray radio sources or like thermal noise um, that like you need the probe that's that long to get it down in there um, where it's isolated. So we get the probe in and you don't want to drop it too fast because it's coming in at room temperature and that would boil off the helium that's in the outer part. Um, and if you drop it in too fast, like you could boil all of the helium and it could like burst because you are now boiling a huge amount of liquid that, that turned into gas. So it's a huge pressure. Um, so that could damage the magnet, cost a lot of money and lost helium, damage the probe, which is like the most important thing that our group has because we're, NMR is the only way that you can really measure the distribution of the magnetic field in this hmm. magnet. Um, so I'm lowering this in very slowly and it's going down into a vacuum. So you have an atmosphere of pressure difference that's pushing it down. Plus you have gravity that's pulling it down. Um, so it really wants to just <laughs> like go pull itself all the way down and then launch itself out when the helium, uh, boils. Um, so I'm fighting it. It's pretty heavy too um and uh we start to ramp the field up um because it takes a little bit um and so once you go above like maybe like 15 20 tesla you have to have the water running otherwise there'll be too much heat and the resistive part will get too warm mess up the superconducting part and everything will just rip itself apart um hmm because that's what it had done earlier in the summer. So my group was sent in to map the fixed updated version because mm -hmm. they once they took it apart and put it together again, they no longer know the exact field distribution. Mm. And they don't want to waste time of scientists by like trying to find where the field center is. Like they want to know exactly down to the millimeter how much do we lower the probe so that all the time spent running the magnet is time spent gathering data. Mm -hmm. So we start ramping. We're heading up to 40, uh, 45 Tesla. We're going the full field. So I'm standing over the magnet with the probe. The water comes on. And so it's like a deafening roar. Hmm. Like you can feel it. It's, it's like there's like a contained waterfall hmm. around you. Um, and I'm like, okay. It's fine, you know, it's all fine. Like safety's number one concern. I just gotta focus on not dropping the probe. And I hear one of the loudest booms I've ever heard and all the lights go out. And I, I swear in that instantaneous slice of time, I thought I was gonna die. Mm -hmm. I, I like if you could hook my brain up to a TV or monitor I could show you what I saw when I thought that was the last thing I was ever going to see and my I the light turns out that it was just the magnet next door it lost its superconductivity and drew too much power and blew and tripped the circuit whatever and so um 
the, the power just went out for a second. Came back on. My advisor was like, oh, haha. I think that was next door. And I'm just like standing up there like traumatized because I thought I was about to be a mist. Mm-hmm. I thought that the last thing I was ever going to see was this stupid little corrugated steel corner. <laughs> and then over to the left was the control desk and with the monitors and like, I just like pretended to laugh it off. Um, and then I went home that evening and just cried because my life was so beyond me now. I was so out of control of my own life that I was letting this school put me in this situation that mm-hmm. I had no intention of ever being in initially. Mm-hmm. That like, yeah, I wasn't in danger, so to speak, but I still had a perceived near-death experience. And that's just like par for the course for that. That is not what I signed up for in the slightest. Yeah. I was like, I, I just, I couldn't believe that I'd reached that point where I was such a number to them. They were like, we'll just, you know, put you on this bomb, even though you have no training for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that, like, I was done with this school. <laughs> I, I was done with being something that could be moved around. Um, I've decided that if I return to school, if or when, um, it's only going to be at a program that wants me for a specific thing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might not exist for a while. I might not be, I might not have the qualifications. I might have to go into industry, but I know at some point I will try to go back. And those are the conditions that I've set for myself because it's not worth my life. Mm-hmm to do something that I don't even want to do. Um, And I'm just fed up with that feeling of being a pawn for disinterested, crusty white men in the higher ups of the physics departments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's... Uh, that's where I'm at. I hate to interrupt, but it sounds like there's still a good bit more here to talk about. And uh, it looks like the battery needs uh, changing. So is it okay if we take a quick yep. break, you know, bio break, and then pick up there? And... Yeah. All right. We'll see you all in a second. Okay. Um, so we're back. Um, you were just sharing with us uh, oh, uh, a harrowing near-death experience or perceived perceived near-death yeah yeah, perceived near-death experience so um from there like what do you do with that right i mean you described how that kind of gave you perhaps motivation to leave i guess yeah so this is where yeah now we're at the the present so to speak um so I've just been, for this past year, I've just been attending counseling every week to try to undo all of the lovely damage that grad school and particular professors and events have done to me, mm-hmm. um, and to try to get my self-confidence back to even like 
put myself in those positions of perceived judgment mm. um because it just it wore me down to the point where i couldn't enjoy really anything because it felt like oh if i'm not using my free time to further my research or work on homework then i'm wasting my time my professor's time and i'm not cut out for this and that's that's not true at all self-care is incredibly important knowing your limits of when to stop working and when to take care of yourself is important but I could not find that balance here mm-hmm. and I don't think I can and I don't think I could come back and ever feel comfortable here again given what's happened to me mm-hmm. even if like the supernova group was like okay we got it all figured out like we triple pinky promise somehow we've got three pinkies to promise mm-hmm. um, that it won't happen we'll pay you like a million dollars well maybe at that point i would i would take <laughs> like, the chance I'll pay you a million dollars I, like, oh. uh yeah if, if you guys screw me over you'll pay me okay um no uh i just don't yeah even if they like rolled out the red carpet metaphorically i would never feel safe or secure here again mm-hmm. um so um i am incredibly fortunate to have such supportive uh friends and family um because without them i'd be completely screwed Hmm. this was not a decision that i could make or take without being incredibly fortunate to have such a support network Mm -hmm. and it's really shitty and i feel guilty about it because I know that there are many people in my situation and in my shoes who can't do what I did, who aren't able to step away because they don't have the support to step away. And so they're stuck in this vicious cycle of a school that's just taking advantage of them and their passion for the school's gain. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... Hey, you're a free worker. You'll teach some classes, TA some labs, grade some papers, and we can pay and treat you like shit because at the end of the day, that's we got what we needed out of you. That's the cost of doing business with us. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, would you say that you had good self-confidence before starting grad school in general yeah i had pretty good self-confidence honestly my my self-confidence was kind of low after leaving undergrad but it was pretty high after leaving my master's program Mm. even though my master's program is no longer affiliated as a bridge site and existed kind of solely to farm grad students into a program that no one would look at otherwise. Hmm. Um, It still got me a degree. I still learned a lot. Um, Several of the professors did actually care about us. Several did not. Um, But I still 
got more out of it. Like I still left that program in debt, but with a surplus of confidence. Like I wrote a 90 page master's thesis in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. and then defended it without like all my meetings with my advisors were remote because we were on lockdown and I still got, I still got one out. Um, I still got interesting results. Um, and I was excited because I'd produced something. I had never been published before. I still don't think I am, even though there's some research that I've been involved in, but as like an undergrad, um, that like eventually when it gets published by the PhD student working on it, I'll be like a name super far down the list. Like I helped with data reduction on Hmm. these, uh, clusters, these galaxy clusters. Um, but yeah, I was super excited and I even cited the, professor i tried to work with here first in it and so like when i met with him i was like i've cited your work like you're the man like i'm so excited to work with you like i can't believe i have this opportunity i left with very high confidence and within so it was the first professor that you're talking about that you worked yeah. with that you had cited in, a, in your yeah in your thesis yes okay yeah um and so, yeah, um, another way that the program let me down is they didn't tell me how much I would, I started in the spring because I finished defending my master's thesis at the end of August. And so it was like, okay, the next semester, like fall semester starts in like a week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I can't do this move my girlfriend who was going to move with me like still has one semester left she graduates at the end of december so like the school was like oh yeah you can start in the spring and that that was good but at the same time it carried a lot of things that i didn't realize with it like as soon as i got here they were like you got to find a research group because it's almost summer so like i don't know the typical like time frame of when you first start talking to groups, but I feel like you're there longer than a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was very rushed. Um, bridge program people were like, you got to find a group, got to find a group, got to find a group. Um, I don't think I had to, um, but they told me that's what I had to do. So had the fun, confidence shattering experience um immediately uh and what really sucks is that like one of the first classes that i took here because when i started it was all remote Mm -hmm. um i took a cosmology course Mm -hmm. and i loved it i had to do a lot of math i had to learn a lot but i was like i had to learn a lot of new math that i'd never done before like i'd never done gr stuff or like really anything with tensors mm-hmm. before but then it was like all right we're working with like the Fried- friedman equation and like all of this gr cosmology stuff and 
I had a hard time at first, but I ended up getting an A in the course. And I was like, all right, I really can't, I really do think I can do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like just getting destroyed in my, my research group. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of goes back to that, like, there's always that like carrot on a stick of like astronomy and the stuff that I'm interested in while I'm just getting whipped by the driver (laughs) and everything else. Um, And so like part of what kept me here after that initial research experience was like, well, I know that there's like courses and professors and stuff that I am interested in that I can do well at. Mm if given the chance, the opportunity and like some patience, mm-hmm. uh, but just never really solidified. The carrot just kept getting smaller and further away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a few things I find myself curious about. Um, one thing is, uh, I wonder if you wanted to say anything more about your experience with counseling, I guess, uh, you mentioned that you had a good counselor. Um, like, uh, how do you feel like your work towards regaining your self-confidence is going? Is there any tools that you've found helpful that you might want to share? Um, counseling is great and it sucks and I never look forward to it, but I always leave it glad that I did it. (laughs) Um, it's very easy and quick to get hurt, but healing takes a long time and is a much more drawn out pain, but that's a part of the healing process. Hmm. Takes a, a second to get a cut, but weeks to heal. Hmm. Um, so yeah counseling sucks and is painful but the pain lessens a bit each time um it's learning to live with it and give it context and meaning um if i had not left the school and gone through what I've been going through, then I wouldn't have a lot of these insights, or at least I could say them but not believe them. Um, now, I, 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 looking on the outside and looking in, has given me some perspective, um, particularly that like one metaphor or analogy that my counselor and I have been talking about is that we're all kind of like you guys know about those Japanese pots that um, they're broken yeah and then they fix with gold they fix them with gold yeah Um, we're all kind of like different shaped pots we all have different initial conditions and we all get broken in different ways, but it's how we put ourselves together. Again, we're never going to be that unbroken pot again, but we can be something new and something mm. in a lot of ways more beautiful. 
in its imperfections. Um, that gold that we use to glue ourselves back together um, is kind of what makes us special. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, my pot got tossed around by other people while I watched helplessly, but, uh, now it's my job to put it back together and I'm enjoying that in as much as I can. Um, it's also difficult to like waking up and having really nothing to do during the day feels good at first but for someone whose whole life has been filled with this purpose of like i've got to go be the best astronomer i can be and i've got to be spending each moment mm-hmm. my life like working towards that goal and if i'm not then i'm wasting time it's been really hard to shut that off and allow myself time to heal um I've been feeling like purposeless because I can't do what I feel like I was put here on earth to do in this town. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like there's no avenue for me to do observational astronomy here, mm-hmm. but my girlfriend's job is too good and setting us up for too much future success to have her leave right now for me to go to a school that may or may not do this to me again. Mm-hmm. So I've just been, I don't know, I, people say like positive affirmations. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think the way that we talk to ourselves internally, really we don't think of it as like affecting us because we think that is us, but the words we use in our head directly influence our moods Mm -hmm. um and so it sounds like that trite bullshit of like just keep positive thoughts in your head and you'll feel better and it's like well you have to make an effort to keep the positive thoughts in but there is something to it there is trying to reframe a failure as a learning experience rather than a failure or just telling yourself rather than I failed, you say I tried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't fail at this latest school. I tried. They failed me. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. They failed me um, and it's their loss and I may not always feel that, but sometimes I do and I think that's a victory. Yeah, I, I definitely think, so. think it's their loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I found myself going down a very similar journey recently of like before I took the break of um, I guess it was right around COVID. Right? I think it was I took the break like during when things were remote or maybe just after I forget. <clears throat> Um, not to compare it to your experience mm-hmm. at all, um, but 
I had a similar wake up moment of like, you know, they were making us take the qualification exam in person. And I was like, you know, when it was so unknown, like what happens after COVID? Yeah. And no one knew there was no vaccines really. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't want to go in this room with like all these people for like four to eight hours straight and like expose myself to this. Like I'm not willing to die for this test. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Like, why am I here? What am I, what am I doing? And then I was just like, okay, what if I leave? And then, then I realized like, I don't know who I am once I leave, you know? Yeah. That's, that's been something that I've been struggling with too. Cause you tie your identity to what you do and what you want to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I, for me, I identified as my work, right? Like I, somehow I got caught up in this story of like, I'm a hard worker. I'm someone who's resilient, who will push through anything. And I'm going to achieve what I set out to achieve. Um, because that's what I'm capable of. But then when I was like, what if I leave, then all that's gone. And I'm like, who am I? Yeah. And so I had to cultivate like a whole new persona a whole new narrative of like who i am and who i want to be and stuff like that and that took a very long time and there's still echoes of like this narrative of like i'm Mm. i am my work kind of thing Mm -hmm. that's still there and there's you know there's benefit to it right it's adaptive right it's what makes me a hard worker and what you know you know allows me to achieve a lot of things but it also will let me it would also put me in compromising situations where i might you know allow myself to be abused or to be you know taken advantage of or whatever mm-hmm. anyways so it's a loaded question <laughs> But I guess I'm wondering if you still feel like you are, like, because I heard some aspects of it, like, without the observational astronomy, do you feel like you don't have a purpose? Um, so this is where this is kind of interesting because I have had to redefine what my purpose would be without observational astronomy. And uh, so that's kind of been bird photography Hmm. for me um these are time domain events where if i don't see it and take a picture of it then it wasn't recorded Mm -hmm. um so it has given me an avenue to share my observations of the world and the way i appreciate its beauty it's given me an avenue to continue doing that Mm -hmm. it's not space but it's still is in that similar vein of it will spark an interest in people. I'm Mm -hmm. sharing the natural world and it still allows me to sort of be an observer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if you had to boil it all down, what I want to do is share what I see. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is one way for me to do that. Whereas like 
yeah um being able to take pictures and connect private moments to a wider audience is important to me um so it it kind of scratches the itch but Mm -hmm. at the same time i wish i was every night or every day like posting a different astro image but Mm. it's it's harder to do with weather and Mm. do i feel like lugging 60 pounds of equipment 30 minutes out of town to then troubleshoot it and maybe i forgot a cable (laughs) um but but like a month month long camping trip or something yeah (laughs) or isolated and you just (laughs) yeah um it 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 lets me do something parallel Mm -hmm. um that still feels like my very related to my calling because it's still building me a skill set of like explain what you see why it's important Mm -hmm. like get people interested um yeah uh and the other thing that i've been doing is uh skateboarding which Mm. i think has really helped give me a perspective on what it means to fail and what it means to try Mm. um because All like I would say the vast majority of clips or tricks that I've ever got or ever landed. That's like one percent of the skating that I've done. Mm-hmm. The other ninety nine percent was falling and just slamming into concrete or hitting a pebble on accident and just eating shit and sliding across the the like the the gravel or whatnot. And that is kind of what all makes it worth it Hmm. in the end is that you know what you went through to get that make, Mm -hmm. to get that landing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like to be a skater, you have to be okay with failing. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have to be okay with knowing that that's a step in growth and in learning. Yeah. And because there's no structure to it, there's no punishment if I fail. Whereas, oh, I fit like I failed this homework. Well, now the professors have me blacklisted mm-hmm. and um, all this other stuff. Well, it's uh, like if you had them watching you while you're skating, and every time you f- they're just like always continuously saying, "You suck. You should. You're never gonna be able to skate. You shouldn't yeah. be skating." Yeah. Yep. Whereas like, yeah, if, yeah, it's just like, what's so nice about it is if it's, it's a supportive community Mm. that celebrates each other's personal victories. Like, and it's not like, um, it's not comparative Mm -hmm. either. Like, that's one thing that I love so much is like what I do on my, my board is what I want to do. Mm. Like to me, there's like, skateboarding is like kind of like figure skating like there's like an art to it like a like a dance Mm -hmm. sort of like everyone's approach is going to be different everyone's going to have different strengths and weaknesses um and so it's like an opportunity to learn and to teach others and in a non-judgmental way 
and mm. it's it's been a lot of fun to fall and then get back up and land it later because mm-hmm. it makes it all the more satisfying and so i'm hoping that uh there'll be a lovely parallel in my life with my academic career of like this was just one of my this was just a bit of gravel in the road i fell and scraped myself up but i'm gonna dust myself off and i'm gonna stick it next time mm-hmm. or if i don't well then i'll just repeat that and then maybe tr- maybe land it the following time yeah the most important thing is that i don't stop and let some of these lovely people uh beat me because mm-hmm. if i stop then their perception of me may have been accurate even if it's mm. not how i feel about myself yeah and i don't want to give them anything yeah fuck them dude yeah fuck them <laughs> i mean it's already not accurate <laughs> yeah. yeah it'll never be accurate just because i don't yeah yeah again that's just like the damage that they've done to me where it's like i'm still like well maybe they have a point <laughs> no yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think regardless of whatever happens, whether you go to back to school or whether you don't, I think I have hope for your future. And I think that, you know, it's going to be one that could be filled with like beauty and happiness. And like, I think it'll start within yourself, right? It'll be like, yeah, wherever you go, you'll bring that with you, you know, and having gone through the failure um having got, gotten scraped up uh i wish i knew what the japanese art was called i think it's called like kintsugi yeah maybe that it's something cool. like that because yeah. there's a there's a body armor in path of exile that's named after it okay um because it's like whole effect is like if you get hit then you get bonus stats oh, okay yeah well like, that's cool yeah 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 it's very similar anyways to adopt your analogy you know, I think the trite saying of it, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. And, and um, as long as it doesn't traumatize you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, yeah. And you process what does. But um, yeah. anyways, so I, I, I'm very hopeful. That Thank you. Yeah. Especially now that you've stepped out of the environment, you know, you've given yourself the opportunity and space to, you know, try to feel better. Yeah, I think that that helps, even though, it, as you were mentioning earlier, even sitting with that can be hard. Yeah, because I. I'm trying to. Frame my position as one of gratitude mm-hmm. and that what I currently the fact that I'm able to step away like this is a blessing. Mm-hmm. and it's being afforded to me by people who love me and care about me and they're okay with helping me and that it's okay to accept this help mm-hmm. and that I deserve it mm-hmm. um obviously I'm not just gonna like like all right I'm not doing shit I'm I'm comfy like I'm not I'm existing but I'm not like thriving 
Um, I don't think you can really thrive while you're trying to heal from something so big. But yeah, I'm just trying to keep the perspective of this is a blessing to be grateful for and not something to feel guilty about. I mean, you're doing important work. Like all that healing work is, it's vital. I think everyone needs to do that. Yeah, it, it's particularly hard um, because I think like the aspect of like toxic masculinity is that like, shit, I look at my friends from undergrad, they're married and have houses. Mm-hmm mortgages and it feels like I don't know I don't remember what I was getting at. <laughs> well it, to finish the th- maybe what you're getting at is it everyone seems so put together right yeah like, like their life is so you know like Maybe to the toxic masculinity part is about like being a provider or something like that. Yes, that's that's what it was. Yeah, it's difficult taking this time off and not being able to provide uh, financially because that's what's expected of me, so mm-hmm. to speak. Like, it doesn't feel like society makes a space for us to step aside and heal, mm-hmm. regardless of gender. But particularly for men, I do feel like there's a stigma of taking that time to step aside. Because it's like, no, I just don't feel those emotions. Mm -hmm. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just tough it out. And if you can't tough it out, then there's something wrong with you. Mm. And it's like, no, there's not something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the system I'm in currently. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, I mean, as a woman in physics, I also feel more of that in physics. And I wonder if it's because it's like a predominantly male dominated field where I feel like there is no space for me to, you know, be emotional, express Mm -hmm. my emotions and like kind of even want to put, I don't have the time and space to put the work into that when I want to sometimes. Yeah. And I think... Part of my journey, at least, is to like be able to balance that and to be able to say, advocate for my own needs and be like, no, like I need this space. I need to have a safe space here. And this is how like I need it to be, like what it mm-hmm. needs to look like. And try to even maybe inspire the people like in my group and stuff to kind of even open up like that too. And mm-hmm. so we can form like a better kind of connection. So... I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's it's just... It's hard. Like, the the systems that are put in place constrain us, kind of, regardless of our our genders. Yeah. Like, the the differences are based on what you present as, but, uh, yeah, it's very... The the systems in place are very confining to everyone. um, Because... It's not a binary. Like, emotions aren't the binary. Like, men don't just feel certain emotions and women just certain other ones. We all feel the full spectrum, but the systems in place tell us that, like, no, you are only supposed to lie in this band pass Mm -hmm. and you are only supposed to lie in this band pass. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah it's it is constricting but i do feel like us us younger people having these conversations it does give me hope that someday like they're not gonna live forever right (laughs) (laughs) someday we will be the older people and hopefully we'll be understanding yeah i mean there definitely needs to be space for men in like to specifically for men even more so i mean for everyone but like to become to be told that it's okay and actually you should like open up emotionally you know yeah I mean? you can like, be vulnerable yeah be vulnerable and like even learn i mean learning like what those feelings are what they mean yeah. where they come from exploring that yeah it's just sad that uh <laughs> that's the way society is right now but i think like you said i think like uh, the younger our younger generation is more in tune with that the importance of that and maybe yeah. it's a positive for the future mm-hmm. yeah yeah one thing i find gratitude in um with my experiences what i've found anecdotally the more i suffer <laughs> the more compassion and understanding i can have for other people who have suffered and the less, you know, judgmental I can find myself becoming and like accepting of other people's way of living. And it just feels like a much more, I feel like after I come on the other side of some traumatic event, um, I feel like my world gets a little bit bigger, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit... I've never put really words to this feeling before, but maybe you understand what I'm saying. Like Your room for empathy grows. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And like, not necessarily just because of you experienced something, so now you have empathy for that situation, but it then gives you like empathy for people who are ex- experiencing new things in general. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... It's a very powerful skill, empathy, mm-hmm. that more people should be taught. practicing yeah. <laughs> and taught. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I'm mindful of the time, but um, I guess I wanted to maybe hard pivot about and talk a little bit about my experience, I guess, uh, with my advisor and see. Yeah, I'd like to hear. <laughs> I'm very interested. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is I'm not sure how much to share on this podcast. It's a little bit sensitive, and I don't know who who may or may not be listening. Um, but so, yeah, we talked a, a little bit about it. But to catch you up, um, mm-hmm. basically, you know, I've been... Uh, Last time we saw each other in person, um, we were about to take the quals, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, right after then is when Sage was bit by a snake Aww. and uh, she was in the hospital for weeks. Oh, poor girl. And so I was really stressed out because I was trying to prepare for this test, yeah. but I was trying to be present for my dog. And so ultimately I just decided like, fuck it, I'm going to be there for my dog and just however the test goes, it goes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I did I did pretty good. I guess I passed half of them that time that we met, and then the next test I passed the other half. So I passed the quals. Nice. Fortunately. Yeah. Um. But so then the next hurdle was the prospectus, right? The mm. the oral exam. And then there was some conflict, basically, that arose around that for me and my advisor. Um, basically, you know, I was trying to complete this document as soon as possible because now that I decided to stay and I passed the quals, I was like, okay, I need to just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know, I need yeah. to get everything in order to be done as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I was trying really hard to finish this thing and, um, then there became some like disputes about like logistics of like what to include in the document, what not. And like, I had a certain, I had certain opinions about like, well, this is my document. This is what I think is necessary given my knowledge. And he had differing opinions. Um, and at one point this one conflict arose where he's like, can you make like this specific plot there's a lot of logistics that we don't need to go through they're not super relevant but to make that plot that he was asking for basically meant i had to like redo everything mm. um and i thought that that would take at least weeks and it was coming close to the end of the spring semester and i'm like i don't have weeks i wanted to present so i'm like mm-hmm. trying to talk to him of like okay do we have to do this like can we can you help me with it? Or like, can we do this plot after the prospectus? Um, Mm -hmm. And basically he wasn't really willing to compromise whatsoever. Mm. He was communicating as though like, you just have to do it, you know? And I was like, I don't get it. (laughs) Like, why do I have to do this thing? Mm -hmm. So I pushed it and my advisor was supposed to be like, an expert in NVC, nonviolent communication. Mm. Right. And so uh, Irene and I took a class in that based on his. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember that. Yeah. He helped bring a, the NVC class to our school. And so I'm like, okay, I learned these tools in NVC. Let me try communicating it to him using some of these tools because he should understand that. Mm. You know, I was like, here's what I'm observing. Like you said this, it made me feel this way. Like, um, you know, here's some strategies. Can we like work together or compromise or blah, blah, blah. And basically the next meeting in person, uh, he kind of exploded. He kind of, um, erupted into like a rage. (laughs) Um, and I'd never seen him act like that before in, um, in the years I'd, that I'd been working with him, there was something like mm-hmm. perhaps a little bit off about our interactions. Like, um, I'm not sure how to characterize it, but he never gave me any explicit signs that like I was unsafe. So I decided to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, he had requested in the past that I be like vulnerable and open and honest with him. So anyways, he, he blew up at me. And, um, he was obsessed with like, he's saying like, are you blaming me for this? And, um, um, he was in my opinion, inappropriately taking credit for my work. Um, uh, 
Yeah. Oh, so basically, at some point in the conversation, I had inferred why he wanted me to make this plot. I was like, oh, I think I, I'm getting it. Like, you think I don't know anything. Like, you think I don't understand what my project is and what I've been doing this far. And you want me to redo this plot because you want me to prove to you that I've understand it by forcing me to have to redo everything. Um, and he's like, yeah, you know, that's basically how I feel is, um, and then he was like saying something like, can we at least agree that I've done all of the work? And, and <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah. And I was like, no. And he's like, and at this point he's yelling, he's like shouting and he's like, I coded this, I coded this, I coded this, and I coded this. Like, and then, I'm, like, I'm feeling super unsafe in this meeting because he's, like, literally yelling at me. And I'm like, well, actually, I think I coded that. And he's like, no, I definitely coded that. And anyways, um, so th basically, um, yeah, I felt very unsafe in that meeting. He more or less... Said I was incompetent. I didn't understand anything. Took credit for my work. Um, Mask off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so then after that meeting, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and I'm like, suddenly I, I saw how he viewed me. He thought I was like some piece of shit student who didn't know anything. Um, and he was just doing like charity work yeah you're the charity case yeah by that, up, up, yeah uplifting this diversity student that's yeah. what it feels like in the bridge program that's what you like yes yeah yeah that that is 100 my experience uh was that like how dare we ask for anything when they deigned to let yeah. us in in the first place yeah. we're like they're doing such a service for us like we can't advocate for anything for ourselves like you are going to ask for that? <laughs> a drowning person is asking for a life vest? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Learn to swim. <laughs> for me, I was just asking for clarity. I was like, yeah. why, why do I have to do this shit? Uh, um, but, so, you know, I'm hooked up with a counselor. I, I go to therapy once a week, once every other week. It, it vacillates, but... Um, she suggested something to me, which I guess I will uh, say on the podcast, <laughs> um, is that she she suggested that like, oh, he sounds like a narcissist. And so I went down this rabbit hole of learning about the disorder and like how it manifests in terms of behavior and stuff like that. And I learned a lot and I was just like, holy shit, this explains everything. <laughs> you know, this explains so much. And from what I learned, it wasn't a very hopeful picture. It was like, it's probably not going to get better. It would probably get worse, if anything. Um, and, you know, exploring going to HR or whatever, or going to a different group, like, those seem like unviable options to me. Yeah, it's not really a lateral move. It kind of, like, sets you further mm -hmm. back. Yeah. So, anyways, that's the short of the situation that I was in. And I was like, 
okay, so now I was reevaluating again. Should should I leave? You know, because now it's like, yeah, it's no longer whether I felt competent or capable. It was like I don't feel safe here. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen working with this guy. Like, yeah, if he blows up at me again, like I'm not gonna tolerate that behavior. Like that's just fucked up. <laughs> yeah, and then like he could potentially sabotage me in the future or something like yeah how am i supposed to know what he's gonna say on? oh Rex? yeah yeah that's been one of my fears it's like okay i want to go back to school mm-hmm. where do i get those letters yeah where do i get those letters from people recent enough to like actually say things meaningful about me because undergrad people it's been like almost a decade yeah. so they can't speak to me as a current student or anything and god that's I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, um, so yeah, I can, thinking about your situation, I could easily see how it's mirrored in a lot of ways because I spent so long with this dude and it's just like, uh, so anyways, I'm just in this situation where it's like sunk cost fallacy a little bit of like, now I passed the quals. I'm so close. Like, you know should i give that up um but i'll just let you know at the moment i've kind of like i'm not looking for advice around that i guess it's mm-hmm. um i've kind of more or less decided to try to stay i'm just like feeling it out um i'm finally gotten back to working on the prospectus and like trying to present and whatever and just seeing how it goes but it i i still currently have like a foot out the door you know mm-hmm. i've been more seriously looking at jobs um trying to set up like a tutoring side gig whatever yeah um and i hold my place in grad school very lightly <laughs> where it's just like okay now like you kind of suggested a similar thing, right? Like if they cross my boundary, like if he blows up at me again, I'm just like, okay, yeah. you know, peace out. I'm done. Um, I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to tolerate this. Um, is there some relief that you feel in setting that boundary and like saying to yourself, like, okay, like I have my limits now. Like mm-hmm. they can't fully take advantage of me because I have set a limit. Um, yes and no. Mostly yes, I guess. Um, it, I guess it's more about like telling myself that I shouldn't tolerate that. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to trust myself that if that happens, that I should just walk away. Um, and being able to like actually believe that and commit to that. Um, does bring some relief i guess Mm -hmm. but then there's you know the sneaking thing of like can i really let it go (laughs) you know if it does happen it's hard yeah yeah um so anyways that's a little bit of the context i guess and so given that's that's why i thought of your experience with your first advisor Mm -hmm. and it sounds like kind of analogous in some ways in terms of like the toxic behavior and how he communicated to you yeah it's 
they're both narcissists, but one of them wrapped themselves like they got the steel ball of narcissism at the center, but one mm. of them wrapped themselves in rubber. Yeah. So that like you don't necessarily know that there's a steel ball in there of like me, me, me. I'm not going to budge from here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, communal. Yeah. Um, my therapist suggested he might be a communal narcissist, which um, there's like different subtypes. But someone who, you know, enmeshes themselves in terms of like community work and like um yeah and, yeah. and like, oh yeah we i remember specifically our talks about like this is what program money is going towards like yeah those the the workshops hmm. and whatnot where it was like who are you showing off to hmm. Like, I don't know. It it felt self... A lot of things that were discussed by him in our meetings felt self-serving. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked a lot about how it felt like we were, like, the pet project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying now, real... It's like... Pieces are starting to pieces fit Pieces are fitting together. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's even more that's, like, super egregious in terms of, like, the status of the bridge program now um, here at our, our site um, is more or less destroyed kind of because of him. Um, and, you know, I, I feel bad saying that almost, like, I don't know why I feel like I shouldn't bag him on, on this base, but... Um, but yeah, basically, you know, the f- similar f- feelings that he expressed from like me calling him out, I guess, he expressed about the bridge program in general, and that's why he just ditched it more or less. Yeah, he just abandoned it. Yeah. 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 yeah he said the reason was because he felt blamed. He felt like basically we weren't appreciating him. Well, that's narcissism. <laughs> Because he wanted it to serve him. The program existed to serve us. Not him, We're exactly. the students who need the help. That You're the professor who's the helper. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, but basically I'm wondering where you're sitting, where you're sitting now, having left the program and you put yourself back in with the knowledge that you have now having left the program and you put yourself back in the experience you had with your first advisor how do you think you would view that situation now i would have left after the first meeting yeah as soon as he started talking about like doubting me without even knowing me Mm -hmm. i would have left because he like Im- immediately was making prejudgments on my ability because I was a bridge student. He hadn't even looked at my work yet mm-hmm. or what I was capable of or knowing what I overcame to even make it here and what that says about me. Mm-hmm. He didn't give a single shit. Um, That's so rude. He didn't even read your paper. Yeah. And he made a judgment about you. Yeah. Um, know anything. 
or maybe even like and this is still a thought that lingers with me maybe he did look at it and was like oh hmm. like if like a an elementary schooler were to like give me a paper on neutron stars it's like neutron stars are blue and they are far and they are hot and i've just been like huh yeah that's cute hmm. i wonder like i have no idea and that always just messes with me and lingers like to what degree was he right about me and mm-hmm. i hope to no degree i think um, no degree but it, it's 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 this program it's unlearning this programming um mm-hmm. from the system that we're in mm-hmm. um yeah uh i if yeah i would not put up with it now um but also part of it is that i know now more what i want to do hmm. and when i came in here i was a little bit more flexible mm-hmm because um, I was like, oh, it can all lead to astronomy in the end. But it's like, yeah. I don't know. I, the the path, that, the further you take something in grad school, the more that narrows your path. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe I really know a lot about neutron star equations of state and like dense nuclear matter. But like, that's so hyper-specific that the applications to astronomy are very limited. Mm-hmm. It just felt like I kept getting further from what I wanted by making compromises. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, then you ended mm-hmm. up in condensed matter. I ended which up in is condensed like, matter. Okay, yeah. that's not. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. My compromising branches took me <laughs> completely away. Um, yeah. And so I think part of it is obviously you still need to make compromises, but I'm not going to compromise on something so important and vital to me anymore because hmm. um, my my time is limited and it, it means something to me and i'm not going to waste it anymore on people who think they're wasting their time on me hmm. yeah i'm not gonna spend so much energy trying to prove myself to doubters mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. I know what I can do. So they can either choose to believe me or they can fuck off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck off. Like, um, yeah. Uh, I'm hopeful in my uncertainty <laughs> for the future. Yeah, good. Yeah, it sounds like you're on, it sounds like you're making progress, right? You're on the path of unlearning some of that programming. Yeah, it's hard to feel like I'm making progress when there's no physical progress being made. Yeah. You can't be like, oh, I've taken this class and I've knocked this off. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I feel slightly better about (laughs) managing stress. (laughs) It's hard to make that into a big victory, but it is in a way. Oh, it it is. Yeah. It Uh, is. Like for me, that, I mean, I think it's one of the biggest victories. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, I feel. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people don't do that internal work. And they I mean, we have all these external successes, mm. but in the end maybe, you know, they're they're feeling there's a lot of things missing in their life. Like they're not exactly mm-hmm. happy because there's like yeah. so internal so much internal uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I think the period you spend working on yourself and the more it's like 
even if you don't have so many as much like external validation as like other people may potentially it's like i just feel like uh i don't know if there's like a peace or calm inside yeah yeah it's like a better living of life you know when you get to define your own goals and what you define is when you get to define success for yourself mm-hmm. is yeah. really important because i i realized that success for me is not getting an a in a class success for me is living another year and being happy mm-hmm. yeah and know that you you deserve to define your own success and follow that path yeah anyone else who like tries to say otherwise like you said fuck it like yeah. fuck them like it's not okay yeah so um i'm feeling like we had a pretty full conversation here um there there was a question that's somewhere in the back of my mind that i wanted to ask that's why i'm taking a second here um ah right it's about now i know that um you're taking space to try to to heal and to focus on yourself and there are certain limitations with the area and stuff um but i guess i just wanted to get your sense of like how you subjectively feel comparatively i guess now versus when you were in the program like how does it f- like because with me and you know my one foot out the door like i have fantasies of like oh this is what it would feel like once i'm free <laughs> and i won't, i'm curious in your experience what has it been like stepping away being free <laughs> <laughs> you're never totally free um because there will still be those days where you're like what the fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. I was juggling the world on my shoulders before, like stars, planets, atoms, particle, like higher energy particles. Like I was doing cutting edge shit. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like waiting in a counselor's office. Um, It was and is hard um i don't know feeling like i've slowed down hmm. so much um sorry could you repeat the question again? <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel comparatively to when you were in yeah in the program It's hard to say stronger because I feel so much weaker. But whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger <laughs> as long as it's not super traumatic, which what happened kind of was. But uh, I don't know. At the same time, I am less sure of myself and more sure of what I want. I feel like less sure that I can do it, but more sure what I want. Why do you feel less sure that you can do it? Uh, Because of all the crap that these people uh, laid on me and Mm. 
the judgments they made about me that were unfounded or untrue or even slightly inaccurate ones add up. Um, yeah, um, it, it's, I don't know, doubting myself still. Like, it's easy to say that I know I'm doing the right thing, but at the same time, I don't know. It's it's hard. I wish, hmm. Like I wish I could enter the program with what I knew now, but at the same time I would not enter this program with what I know now. So I don't know. My perspective before and after the bridge is that I'm stronger for it and more resistant to overly compromising myself and my goals. Mm -hmm. I still understand that I will have to sometimes make changes or adaptations to new situations, but that doesn't mean compromising some very core principles. And I think that's what I did when I said I would come here. Mm -hmm. so for it sounded like you intended to go back to school right if, if i absolutely possible. intend to go back to school i just don't know when yeah so then my question is it, it it sounds like there's two things at play here right it sounds like you know on some way in some ways you found like what your boundaries are you found like mm -hmm. what you're comfortable with accepting and not comfortable with, but also perhaps internalizing some of the judgments that were thrown at you in this mm -hmm. experience in the grad program. But if you still intend on going back to school, that must mean what, like something on average that you feel competent and capable or where do you find that strength to like say I'm go I'm going back um cuz I know that in the best situation what I could offer is unmatched provided that I'm in the right situation mm -hmm. so you're saying you realize just if I tell me if this reflects what you're saying you realize your value if you're given the correct support. Yes. Good. Yeah. Um, I can do a lot if I'm given the right tools to succeed. Um, but if I'm constantly met with hurdles or dissuaded, then it's a lot tougher. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, I definitely have gotten more resolve mm -hmm. from this um like i'm almost like pissed off to the point that i want to succeed now almost <laughs> to like spite them yeah and that was part of what i was thinking for you is like you're so close now yeah. like almost do it to spite them yeah like this is no longer like we did this together but like no this is for you yeah like you did this those are that's your data this is mm -hmm. what you learned this is your project mm -hmm. he was lucky to be a part of it yeah 
Yeah. So I know it's it's so easy for me to say this from the outside, but sometimes doing it for spite is Sure, spite it, can be powerful. Spite is a powerful motivator sometimes. Um and people always you're not supposed to use like negative things as motivators, but like Unfortunately for me, spite <laughs> is like too short term for me and then like i oscillate from different so i can never mm. really use it as like a continuous like power source yeah i do feel like negative emotions have that thing of like they dry up quick yeah like doing something because you're angry it's hard to stay angry like the cost it has on your body is high <laughs> yeah so you naturally just sort of like simmer down and then yeah but <laughs> sorry i derailed no, that no, no. you're so <laughs> you're so close to being yeah. done though that like i feel like spike could be enough of like yeah nos to push you <laughs> yeah, over exactly. the edge that's true yeah just a little bit more left yeah well yeah in, in my case like i've processed like i struggled a lot with like imposter syndrome coming in to the program in the first few years and i'm starting to realize that maybe that's just you know, internalizing some of the things that they said, right? And not yeah. really a reflection of how I feel about myself. Yeah. Because um, lately I've been feeling like super competent and capable and I'm like, I know I can do this. And the question I've been wrangling with is like, but do I want to? Like, is that something I'm willing to like put myself through? Mm -hmm. um, and lately I've been feeling like, yeah, I could probably do it. And I kind of want to do it uh i wish more of the day-to-day -day wasn't as shitty mm -hmm. but um i'd like to see it through i'd prefer to see it through yeah. than not um but yeah also you know fuck them yeah you know, also there is a room for spite and uh yeah for me i think uh i can use my anger <laughs> in a pretty productive in healthy way yeah, for the most part channel it yeah yeah i think there is a place for it yeah but so um i think we've had a pretty good conversation i'm wondering if there's any loose ends anything that um either of you want to discuss more about or had any specific questions before we finish it up um no, I, I think I've said what I wanted to say, except maybe uh, earlier when I said, like, using the whole universe as an observatory. Mm -hmm. You guys hear about the nanograv uh, yeah. thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, and so last summer when I was at Arecibo, the guy who was leading our group, because I was in the Pulsar group, because I was like, hey, I know about neutron stars. I want to learn about how to actually observe them, mm -hmm. like what I wanted to be taught this whole time. Um and the guy who led our group, um, he's a part of Nanograph. Mm -hmm. And so like me and another person who are like more in the know about neutron stars and pulsars and pulsar timing array stuff, were like, can you let us know anything? And he <laughs> was like, didn't hear it from me, but we're going to have a big announcement soon. And mm -hmm. we were like, tell us more. And he was like, no. <laughs> and we're just like, okay, Nanograph's got something cooking. And so I knew when like a couple weeks ago they were like we got a big announcement coming i was like we got the background <laughs> which is just so cool to me mm -hmm. 
We used a galaxy-wide array of stars to look at ripples in space-time that are so minute. (laughs) It's the coolest thing to me because we can't ever build something with that sensitivity. We just Mm -hmm. take advantage of the physics of our universe, Mm -hmm. which is the coolest. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my research is uh, in the QFT side, like using QFTs as to to model like a a black hole binary Mm. mergers. Oh, wow. So it's like then taking it to the classical limit and then Mm -hmm. doing uh, precision computations of different observables. And then we can match it with all this new data coming in. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's so cool. (laughs) Oh, I want to hear more about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. We can talk later. Cool. It'll be another podcast, I guess. (laughs) Any last questions? How are you feeling? Um, Feeling good. Yeah. I guess uh, just, I mean, to think of like your future or whatever, what would be like your your dream of like what, you know, your next step would be? Um, Or even long term. Long term. I don't know what the intermediate steps are, but the long term goal is I want to work at STSI, um, Space Mm -hmm. Telescope Science Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the people who run the day-to-day for the Hubble, mm-hmm. the James Webb, and the upcoming Nancy Grace Roman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, all of the professors and researchers will send in to STSI, like, I want this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. We'll prioritize the list based on, like, the, ups- the observing schedule, what's the most efficient, and then do it. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be in the control room, like all right, let's get the pointing for this object. Like that's, that would be the dream. However, Baltimore is very expensive. Mm. So we're going to have to take a couple steps there first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, That's nice. I don't know how much of it is what school has done to me, but I don't know if I'm cut out for my own research. I don't know that. And part of it is that I really haven't been given the opportunity Mm. to do the research that I'm super passionate about and interested in. So I don't know if I see myself becoming a researcher and like a professor and continuing this cycle, Mm. or if I just want to go to private and be content with my life and be like, all right, I'm doing support science. It's still meaningful, but like I get to go home at the end of the day and be done Mm -hmm. you know i don't know yet which one but ultimately i want to be contributing to astronomy yeah you know like when you say if you're cut out for it i guess what do you mean exactly by cut out for it i mean i don't necessarily mean like am i smart enough yeah is it do i want that yeah exactly all the things that in that living in academia entails the bureaucracy of being a professor and dealing with crusty old people stuck in their ways or like you're gonna be moving fairly frequently until you can get tenure somewhere or like if you're a postdoc and like you you your work is never over so to speak like i don't know if i'm cut out for that i don't know if i want that yeah if you Mm -hmm. want that yeah I mean, not that I can't do it, but that it's not compatible with the life that I want. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the same questions too, because I don't know if I 
want to have the life of academia the way that the structure is right now and the values yeah. and how toxic it is yeah like i have my i want to change it so badly you know like there's like this part of me is like i just want to make it so much better but like being in this program just in a way is i don't know maybe more jaded obviously yeah uh, it's like this i don't know this idealized version of me it's like oh i can do do it i can change the system and it's like i don't know if that's possible yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a big goal yeah but if you wanted to i believe you could do it and it doesn't also doesn't have to be can you change the whole system but can you help yeah. people as yeah. well like can you do you think that you could make it easier for your students to not go through what you've gone through yeah and so that could also be a victory maybe you don't change the whole system but you changed how some people went through it and yeah. you helped them mm-hmm. yeah definitely i think you can do it <laughs> <laughs> cool okay well i guess we're gonna round off the podcast here then um if you made it this far thank you for listening thank you again for coming on michael i really thanks for having me yeah i appreciate your time and sharing your story with us and uh yeah so um you want to plug anything yeah that's fair point um okay uh yeah i'll plug my instagram because i'm posting daily either birds or skate clips or currently i have a lot of travel photos that i'm posting um it's michael j harmio um with no spaces um but if, i think my name might be in the description so if you can't spell it yeah uh, and i could put a link in the yeah, show notes and stuff yeah yeah that's and I've seen some of the photos, and he's very talented, everyone. So oh, please you. check it out. <laughs> Prints are available. Good. Cool. Yeah, if you find it, purchase from him. We'll put a link in, in yeah. the description for everything. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.